0: Advantage of the day. Okay. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. The playmakers all on three. One, two, three. Playmakers. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Oh, we're getting closer. Yes, we're getting closer to September the 7th, 2023. The Chiefs opening up the entire NFL season against the Detroit Lions. Hi, everybody. I'm Mitch Holters, voice of the Chiefs, along with senior team reporter Matt McMullen. This is is defending the kingdom but we're still in camp for a while (laughs) still in camp dot 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 with an ellipse uh that's why we got camp gear on right we're still in camp this week um and a reminder that our defending the kingdom podcast is brought to you by your new best friend Ticketmaster. it's it's the best home schedule in the 64 year history of this great franchise incredible home schedule awesome road schedule as well Ticketmaster is where you can go to try to uh, get hooked up to go to these games. But, I mean, every week has its own theme. So we're excited, but there's work to do and still work here at training camp. And, Matt, this is the week where, you know, it's like the confluence. uh, People listen and watch us from around the world. Well, here in Kansas City, when you get to visit, if you get to visit, there's a confluence of two main rivers, uh, the Kansas River and the Missouri River. This feels like a confluence of you leave St. Joseph – Uh, But you stay in training camp mode, and the guys are kind of in this pivot, if you will, but they're still in training camp mode, at least for this week.
1: Yeah, well, cut down day is August 29th. It's coming up. It's Mm. a week from tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday, uh, and in that one day, we'll go down from 91 players, which we're at right now, to 53 players, just like that. And this last week and a half is so important for the guys trying to make this team and for the guys on the roster bubble. We may have broke camp and we're not in St. Joe anymore. There's no more open practices, but you're 100% right. Training camp is still going full steam ahead. And I'd argue that maybe training camp's even more intense right now than maybe it was three weeks ago. So even though we're back at the facility and it kind of feels like now we're just waiting for football to start, which we kind of are from you and I's perspective, but in terms of the players trying to make this team, this is a very intense time right now.
0: why we're still in camp gear and we're getting paid back for the great weather we had uh, at the end of camp in St. Joseph with heat and humidity, which in many ways is historic. Um, so it, it, the temperature and the heat and humidity index is about the same as the quarterback rating of all four quarterbacks uh, in the game against the Arizona Cardinals on Saturday night. We'll get to that in a second. But before we do, it's a defending the kingdom tradition. Let's take a spin around
1: the world. Let's do it. So we've got five today. Not yes. too many. We got five today. We have for Exactly. Yes, we have Jim in Kansas City. We met Jim at camp uh, during one of the last few days. Yeah. Awesome guy. Good dude. Uh, and thank you for your service to our country, Jim. Yes, uh, I believe from the Air Force uh dominique i met dominique at the game in arizona i you know was on the sideline doing my preseason tv stuff and toward the end of the game i was walking off the field and dominique was shouting from the stands i took a picture with him and he watches the podcast so shout out to you dominique thanks for saying hi on saturday uh we heard from james and cedro woolly washington uh, he's a native of kirksville missouri that's where my grandma's from in kirksville mm. um, but he moved to Oregon in 1986. Uh, We heard from Mark in Glasgow, Montana, and Brian in El Dorado, Kansas. And if you haven't heard about it already, uh, there's this awesome new program called Chiefs Kingdom Worldwide. You go to (laughs) Chiefs.com slash Chiefs Kingdom Worldwide. Not Prestige Worldwide, as we've joked around about. It is Chiefs Kingdom Worldwide. And it's actually really cool. You can see uh, different, like, Chiefs-affiliated venues around the world. So, If you are a bar or a restaurant somewhere in the world and you consider yourself a Chiefs bar, you can register yourself on Chiefs Kingdom Worldwide and anyone can get online and see that you're a Chiefs bar. So remember Toon Bar and Grill uh, that we talked about a few weeks ago? They're on there now in Chicago. So uh, if you're a Chiefs fan, you have a Chiefs restaurant, a bar somewhere in the world, you wanna register it on Chiefs Kingdom Worldwide, you can. You can meet other fans from around the world and they also have this great interactive map where you can see little arrowheads all over the world. So if you're a Chiefs fan living in Kansas City or somewhere else in the world, uh, check out Chiefs.com slash Chiefs Kingdom Worldwide. And the world includes – so we had one from El Dorado, Kansas in this one. We sure did. El Dorado,
0: Kansas. Brian. Home of Butler County Community College, by the way. Caden Davis – who played for Arizona in the game Saturday night was from Ellsworth Can- is from Ellsworth, Kansas. Played at Butler County Community College. Now with the Arizona Cardinals was at Northwest Missouri State. Butler County Community College has been the home of many national champions, the Grizzlies, and a lot of players that have come, uh, gone into the National Football League. So El Dorado, Kansas, um, and all of our Jayhawk JUCO league teams, uh, take a bow because it is many times a proving ground or a um, Potting soil, if you will, for National Football League players. There is a tradition there that uh, is worth those of you want to dig into it. Almost every week, there's a Jayhawk Juco guy in the game, uh, including we've got our own. Uh, Khalif Halasi played at uh, Independence Community College. And uh, let's see who else. I think Matt Dickerson played at Highland Community College up near St. Joseph. So anyway, uh, we digress. Uh, we get into now, okay, it's still camp. But we have to go back and visit the game in Arizona. Yeah. I've only done the voice of the Chiefs and been in the National Football League for 30 seasons. So I'm just getting started. But I did something on Saturday night I've never done in any preseason. Now, four quarterbacks normally won't play in a regular season game, unless it's the 49ers, and I don't mean that to be funny. I mean, they, they did that in the playoffs when they had all the injuries. But four quarterbacks, and the worst was Patrick Mahomes with a QBR, a quarterback rating of 109. Matt, in this game, four quarterbacks attempted 38 passes. Uh-huh. They completed 31. <laughs> I went back. I'm such a nerd. I went back and watched the seven incompletions. Uh-huh. Okay. Three were drops. Three should have been caught. <laughs> All right. That leaves four. One is the crazy Pat jumping up and down out of bounds play. That he almost completed. Yeah. And that was been a difficulty of and the other one was um, Justin Ross not being on the same page with Blaine Gabbert Because he was wide open. Would have been a touchdown. Would have been a touchdown. The other two were like tight window throws. That's it. That's how close the Chiefs quarterbacks were in a preseason game, all four, of going 38 <laughs> out of 38. That was crazy.
1: Yeah, it was. I, I have all their stats here because it was remarkable. So Patrick went 10 of 15 for 105 yards and a touchdown. He was in there for three possessions, then led the Chiefs on the touchdown drive on his third possession. Three drops yep. out of his <laughs> <fucking completions. laughs> Three drops. Uh, <laughs> Shane Bouchelle was legitimately perfect. Gosh. He went 10 for 10 for 105 yards and a rushing touchdown where he cut in on the safety on the five-yard line. And Patrick, after the game, was like, I don't know if I would have done that. But, hey, Shane scored, so respect to Shane for that. Uh, Blaine Gabbert was 7 of 8 for 120 yards and two touchdowns. He had a perfect passer rating of 158.3. It can't be any higher than that. It was perfect. And then uh, Chris Oladokun, uh, I was happy for him yeah. on Saturday after a tough game against the Saints, that tough interception. He went 4 of 5 for 63 yards and led a touchdown drive. They all combined. You mentioned 31 of 38 for 393 yards and four total touchdowns and the Chiefs scored on their final six offensive drives not counting the kneel down at the end of the first half uh, beginning from about midway through the first quarter to the end of the game so if you're looking for positives in a preseason game that otherwise doesn't matter at all there were a lot of positives offensively after a bit of a slow start
0: what was funny, and if you were listening on the Chiefs Radio Network, it, it became hilarious because we had Chairman and CEO Clark Hunt on uh, during the broadcast in the second quarter. When it was SMU graduate Shane Bouchelle, literally teaming up on every play of a seven-play touchdown drive, five of them were either Bouchel or Rasheed Rice. And it was just SMU, SMU, and Clark's from SMU. It became funny. I said, we're going to play Peruna, which is the SMU fight song, <laughs> and bust it out. Because it couldn't have any better. Like, if you're going to have the chairman and CEO who, oh, is a graduate of SMU, let's have the two SMU guys on the team just like, completely take the game over. But that's what they did. It was a good sign for both of them, actually. And it begs the question, too, is there a preseason Hall of Honor anywhere? I think maybe there should be. We should
1: create that. We'd have a lot of fun doing the preseason. <laughs> we would. Hall of honor. I don't
0: know where it would be. Uh, we'll find a place. And maybe some of you uh, kingdom defenders out there want to give nominations. But Shane Bouchelle might be in the uh, in the inaugural class of the all-time Chiefs preseason Hall of Honor. He has been lighting it up now for three preseasons.
1: Yeah, every preseason. I mean, what I really respect about Shane is he's given an opportunity, right? Here is your chance to show that you belong. And every preseason, he shows that he belongs and To his credit, he earned himself a spot on the roster last year, and he's fighting for a spot on the roster right now, and he couldn't be putting his uh, best foot forward any better than he is, right? I mean, he's just been outstanding. So I'm happy for Shane. We'll see how everything works out, but – Uh, Shane Bouchelle was legitimately perfect uh, against the Cardinals. And how about Rasheed Rice? I mean, what a showing from him uh, to bounce back from an early drop on the Chiefs' first possession uh, to catch eight passes for 96 yards, including a 38-yard reception and a 25-yard catch. And I think we saw some of the things the Chiefs talked about way back in April when they first drafted Rasheed. They talked about how he was like a running back in the open field. He's violent. Uh, He doesn't just go down at first contact. And we saw that time and time again. They tried getting him in different situations and using him different ways. And really, after that initial drop, he was one of the best players on the field throughout the game. I like how he played into the third quarter. Uh, he didn't get just to put his hat on after a few big catches and call it a day. He kept playing, uh, but really looked great, I think. So uh, it bodes well for his future here in Kansas City and how he can help this team early on.
0: I want to keep this uh, discussion with Rasheed and the other wide receivers going. But before we do that, Blaine Gabbard to me, has been incredibly impressive ever since we watched him when he first came into the fold in the spring. His ability to attack the third level of the defense within this offense, we've now seen it in two preseason games. His long throw to Amir Smith-Marset in this game, the 43-yarder that he had to Richie James in the game against New Orleans shows you that it's not a mistake or it's not an anomaly. And I know he's been in the league 12 years. He's very similar to the Chad Henney story. But you can see where Chad Henney has his skill set but Blaine Gabbard has his skill set, and his skill set fits this offense very well. And the fact that he can, the ball comes out fast, whether it's slants or short throws, but he has the ability to be accurate on deep throws. It's like I said on the radio broadcast, he can hit a three-run
1: homer. And that's an asset as a
0: backup quarterback.
1: And we've seen it in consecutive games now because he did the same thing to Richie James against the Saints just a couple weeks ago. It's kind of funny how with players like Blaine Gabbard, we almost forget how talented they are. I mean, he was a blue-chip recruit out of high school, ends up at Mizzou, one of the top quarterback recruits in the nation, and he's a top-ten pick in the NFL draft. And just the way his career's gone, lots of different offensive systems, just playing for a lot of teams that weren't very good, never really had a chance to get comfortable in a system and let his talent come out. And I remember reading an article about Blaine Uh, last year about how finally comfortable he was in Tampa Bay, where he was with the same system, the same offensive coordinator, the same culture for three years in a row, and he was able just to be himself and be comfortable. And I think that's helped him a lot in his career, and we're seeing that comfort here in Kansas City. Even though it's a new system, it's a new culture, he at least is comfortable with his abilities. He's not just trying to figure things out right away. He knows what he can do on the field, and we're seeing it. I mean, for Shane to go out there and to go 10 of 10, How can Blaine come out and be just as good? Well, he basically was. He's a perfect quarterback rating. So it says a lot about the competition there between Blaine and Shane. It's a great problem to have if you're the Chiefs where you have two quarterbacks who, God forbid, if Patrick Mahomes couldn't play, you feel good about what those two guys can do.
0: So this segues into roster math. Again, this Defending the Kingdom episode is called It's Still Camp, But. And now we kind of start to look at roster math being here uh, on the early part of this week before with the f- third preseason game against the uh, Cleveland Browns. And so while we're on the quarterbacks, let's just take that because after the game on Saturday night at Arizona, people have been running quarterback controversy and now what happens or the shift in the depth chart. Just hang on people. This is what coach does by design. We've seen him do it in the past. He wants, he wanted Shane to play with the first unit uh, the offensive line in the first half, which he did not get to do against the Saints. Blaine Gabbert got the chance to do that in the Saints game. So that's by design. And the fact that there is a practice squad here. So we talk about like 91 to 53 on a week from tomorrow as we as we um, post this or, or tape it on the 21st of um, August. There's still a practice squad. And the practice squad we've seen include several quarterbacks. And there's three levels to the practice squad. Shane Buchel is still in that where he's not had two accrued seasons, which puts him in that level one of being on the practice squad, which is you can go back and look at if you want to look it up. Ola Doken, who played really good, we saw him last year be the, oh, I don't know, we're going to replicate the running quarterback guy.
1: He's Jalen Hurts. He's he's Lamar Jackson. And and,
0: and he's valuable in that role. And all the guys on the team talk about that. So if everybody's losing sleep over, oh, my gosh, who's going to make the roster – just keep in mind, there's a 16-man practice squad. You can protect those some of those players. And so don't just just know this is all by design and, and working the way Andy Reid wants it to work.
1: Yeah, that was one of the few positives to come out of the COVID season is the 16-man practice squad is still a thing, and it's going to be a thing moving forward. The practice squad used to be truly just a handful of guys who are very young players who have not played a lot in the NFL, and it's an opportunity for them to stick around in a building. Well, now it's almost like a taxi squad where you have 16 players, I think four of which can be veterans. There's no limit on how old they can be. Actually, it's six, I think. And now it's six now. Okay, it's grown. Yeah, six of them can be veterans, and there can be – Danny Shelton was one one last year. I mean, there's no limit on how – Uh, many years they've played, Uh, that's a big deal. And it allows the Chiefs to keep players around who maybe they otherwise couldn't have kept a couple of years ago. And assistant general manager Mike Borgonzi a few days ago uh, during training camp, he was talking about how they're trying to get the best 53 and the best 16. It's not just the 53-man roster. And one example I use over and over again is Jack Cochran from last year at linebacker did not make the team out of training camp, but Made the practice squad and was elevated a few weeks later and played like 11 games with the chiefs including all three playoff games so even if they don't make the team right away what they're showing in the preseason right now is very important at every position on the field
0: it's a great point you make matt because really and we talked about this a little bit last year but you're saying hey you were cutting to 53. in a way you're almost just cutting you're cutting to 69 because those 16 guys as you mentioned really are a part of your team and and this it wasn't that long ago there were only six guys on the practice squad and no veterans now there's still rules i mean you got to clear waivers and and somebody can claim anybody if they're not on that protected list that they can they can go um to uh the other team, but they have to go to the other team's 53-man roster so there's some element of risk and but still the practice squad and i'm glad they kept this after COVID. it was it was great that the um nfl kept that rule You're really looking at about 69 guys
1: that are in your building and helping you win games week to week. And those veterans don't have to be waived because they're vested veterans. So when you see roster cuts come out and if there's a a well-known player that gets let go who's been in the league a long time, it's very possible they'll be back the very next day. So we saw that with Elijah Lee last year as an example. So this time of year is always interesting and you see all the roster projections everywhere, but... Brett Veach and his staff are really good at what they do in terms of player evaluation, but they're also very good at figuring out the puzzle that is the roster within all the rules. So we'll see what happens and how creative they get. Let's go to the roster within all the rules with the wide receivers.
0: We've mentioned it during the time in St. Joseph. 13 wide receivers right now on this roster. Kadarius Tony still out with his knee injury. We've seen some other injuries. Uh, Nico Ramirez had the shoulder injury in practice after the Saints game. Uh, that was last week, but we're seeing these other guys emerge. It's made some Chiefs Kingdom fans anxious of like, oh, my gosh, uh, can't we keep Rice? Can we keep Justin Ross? We, What about Justin Watson, right? He's got uh, – he had the touchdown the other night uh, on the play from Patrick Mahomes who loves playing with him. Richie James is, is becoming a dude. Uh, we know about Sky Moore means. But let's just take Rice, and I love what you said about him as well because we're seeing here the multiplicity of ways – that all of the guys that I mentioned, especially Rice and Sky Moore, how they can impact a game. Because Rasheed Rice, whether he's running a flip pass or you run a bubble screen, that's a guy that can break tackles. And, And a guy that's almost like a running back sometimes playing wide receiver. And that power and his ability to shed tacklers, along with Sky Moore, can go a long way to help this team win games in
1: 2023. And don't forget Amir Smith-Marset, who had a great game against the Cardinals. Uh, He had four catches for 92 yards and a touchdown, including a 44-yard catch and run. You're right about Rasheed, though. And this is something I think that the front office saw in him when he was at SMU. It's his uh, varied skill set. He's so dynamic. He can do so many different things. And we've seen him get better and better as – the practices and as the segments of the offseason have gone on. I remember watching him during rookie minicamp and at times it seemed like he, a lot was being thrown at him and how is he going to handle it? And I think he's handled it really, really well. Where he has gotten just a little bit better through OTAs, through minicamp, and through training camp. And we all know about his contested catch ability. He had 16 contested catches last year. He had the top vertical jump of any receiver at the combine. We know he can go up and get the football. He actually compares himself to DeAndre Hopkins. That's who he models his game after. And you can kind of see that in his game. But the element that we've seen lately is what he can do after the catch. And it's not just big plays deep down the field where he beats the safety and runs 20 yards for a touchdown, it's also stuff behind the line of scrimmage, and this is something that I've talked about for several weeks now. I think this is an area he could really help us right away, where it's the bubble screens, it's the quick pop passes, it's stuff behind the line of scrimmage, where he gets the ball in his hands right away, and all of a sudden, he's not a receiver anymore. He is a running back, and the fact that Brett Veach, Mike Morganzi uh, Coach Reed, they've called him a running back, uh, when he has the football in his hands, that's not by mistake. They see what he can do when they're trying to utilize his talents in the best way possible. And uh, early on against the Lions or against the Jaguars, I'm not sure, but I think if you're wondering how is Rasheed Rice going to fit in early on, I think it's stuff behind the line of scrimmage that allow him to show off his athletic gifts.
0: Still has the ability to catch the ball up the field as well. We've seen, seen that. and But Sky Morris entering the same discussion. You can copy and paste that um, because we know replacing Juju Smith-Schuster you're talking about 933 yards to replace, but it's also catching for first downs, uh, catching in a tight window. And your point about Rice coming back, the tight window drop uh, that he had on the RPO slant uh, to start that game, but then to come back with a force is uh, is a great sign uh, for the rookie from SMU. I'm also seeing where some other teams, because there's there's a chance now the Chiefs could keep seven wide receivers. Yeah, And keep in mind, and we remind you all the time, but The special teams in the return game, but four core special teams is a requirement. If you're not a starting like a Nick Bolton linebacker and you're going to play linebacker or you're not Marquez Valdez-Scantling, then you're going to have to play special teams. I found it very interesting the other night that Richie James was both the kick and the punt returner because he can do both. Go back and watch his 98-yard return for a touchdown in 2018 when he was a San Francisco 49er. I also put on Twitter, brought it up last week, that the kickoff team coverage tackles by Justin Ross and Rasheed Rice were bigger than you might think. These guys are going to have to do that. If you're going to carry seven wide receivers, six might be active on a game, but four of those guys have got to be big-time
1: contributors on special teams. And I believe if we kept seven, it would be the first time in the Coach Reed era that we've kept seven wide receivers. If you look at the past few years, Last season, the Chiefs only kept five for week one. They kept six in both 2021 and 2020. So seven isn't out of the realm of possibility, but it would be something new uh, for this coaching staff. It's a good problem to have, though, if you're the Chiefs where you have potentially seven players at wide receiver who you have to say, we got to keep all these guys. And we'll see what they decide. But you're right. It's more than just what they're doing offensively. That's important. And you want to be able to rely on them and see what they can do in the offense. But really for especially the fifth and sixth wide receiver, maybe the seventh, they have to play special teams. They have to play special teams well, and they have to help you in different areas because there are not enough targets to go around to justify keeping seven receivers just for offensive reasons. You have to be able to help on special teams. And Justin Ross is a great example of a player who we've seen them sprinkle into the special teams unit ever since OTAs like can you do this and to his credit he's handled it really well and shown that he can do it so if Justin Ross makes this team it's not just because of what he does offensively it's because of the work he's put in on special teams for the last several months
0: you remember the OTA early June I think I go "Ooh, it's kickoff coverage look who's at R3 on kickoff coverage yep and it was Justin Ross yeah like we're thinking when's the last time he was on kickoff coverage but high school maybe maybe but it might be the first game against the Detroit Lions so I know you. We all know where you're at. You got to figure out your fantasy league. You want to take a chief as wide receiver. Just play reality with us here for a second and realize they've got to be on special teams. Uh, as we close out this defending the kingdom, which is it's still camp, but there's two areas I want to discuss uh, before we close. Going into this Cleveland game, and it's the defensive line, and it is the defensive secondary. So let's take the defensive line uh, first here. And we all know Chris Jones has not been in camp. He's not here as, as we uh, record this. But there continues to be a mix and match on the defensive line. People go, gosh, the Cleveland game, does it mean anything? Yes, it does. It's a very important. And let's take the defensive line first and foremost. Because to me, the Cleveland game is very important in continuing to look and find somebody, at the very least a rotation, or somebody, one who could capture more snaps than originally thought
1: When you were looking at the team back on june the 15th sure it's players if you're talking about the interior like daniel wise uh, chris williams uh, matt dickerson um, can those guys step up and maybe earn a roster spot when maybe they wouldn't have gotten the snaps to earn that spot uh, if the situation was different right now Um, we'll see they have to earn that Uh, one player on the outside i'm looking forward to watching against the browns is felix enidike uzama of course, a first-round pick from K-State. He had the second-most defensive snaps of any player in the game against the Cardinals. So I think they're trying to get as much of a look at him as they possibly can, get as many reps for him as they possibly can. He spoke to the media today, and I think he feels like he's coming along, but he still has a lot to prove. And I asked him if he was excited as a hometown kid to play his first game here at EAJ Field at Arrowhead Stadium. I mean, how cool is that? You grow up going uh, to games here in Kansas City, and now you'll be on the field and for a split second, you could tell he's excited, but then he's like, I still have a lot to work on, though, and that's what I want to do. I want to go out there and just improve and get better. Uh, all the other stuff is secondary, and I think that shows a lot of maturity, and I'm hopeful that Philos can get a bunch of reps in this game, maybe a, a big player or two, and can get his confidence up uh, and feel comfortable in the defense um, where he can help us here against the Lions.
0: The big player, too, is the phrase that, to me that strikes. He's been really close to a flash play. There was a touchdown by G- um yeah, Winston, in the uh, New Orleans Saints game, and he was with an eyelash of getting a sack or a pass defense there, and he slipped. Touchdown, Saints. Within a fraction of a of a second, in a way. Same thing last week. He was really close uh, with a big-time flash-splash play, which I think would be great for him to get against Cleveland just to give him a surge yeah. uh, of confidence going into the regular season. So your point about making a significant play I think is a good one especially with Felix. The other thing to watch is we talk about the receiving core doing a whole bunch of different things. Those defensive linemen, the edge guys especially here, moving around and being able to do different things. The Mike Danis of the world. Uh, the Cleveland game would be watching a B.J. Thompson, uh, the rookie at of Stephen F. Austin. Charles amenahu has got the six-game suspension to start the regular season. And a guy that we haven't talked much about, we mentioned him some, but it's Malik Herring. Yeah. I mean, this is when he was coming out of Georgia now, and then he tore his knee in the senior bowl. That's what that was like. And, but, but the Chiefs went in to take him, right, as a project, much like a I'm a, a, not not Rashid Rice, but much like a Justin Ross, and to take him as a project. Well, now, all of a sudden, the world looks differently to Malik Herring. Uh, and if he could make some plays early on, uh, even in the Cleveland game, whether it's inside or outside, because he can line up at both, it would
1: bode well for him and Felix to give them a shove into the regular season. I spoke about Malik uh, during the broadcast in like the third or fourth quarter uh, during the game on Saturday. Just a great story. And he's someone who I don't think is talked about enough. I remember rookie minicamp last year. Uh, I was just watching all the rookies out there. And there's a lot of tryout players. And Malik was one of the best players on the field uh, coming off of that ACL injury. Um, Just such bad luck for him coming out of Georgia, uh, tearing his ACL in the senior bowl. And basically his entire rookie season was a redshirt year. Um, But he deserves a lot of credit for coming out last year, making the team out of camp. People forget about that. He made the team out of camp and appeared in seven games. Uh, There was a couple games where he actually logged significant defensive snaps. So what's next for him is the question. Can you take the next step? You've, return to football. You've proven that you belong here. Can you take the next step and make some big time impact plays and maybe earn some more playing time? Uh, I think he can do it. We'll find out uh, when roster cuts happen. But I think that Browns game is a great opportunity for him to show that he belongs and he's ready to take that next step
0: and he can play inside and outside. Just follow him around uh, in this game and you'll see where he is an asset for Steve Spagnolo and Joe Cullen. The secondary becomes a discussion because, and we, we talked about this last week, but we're going to talk about it again because here we are, right? Camp's still going on, but it's looming closer. We're just, you know, a week and a half away from uh, starting this season or close to it or... anyway, the point is the secondary with LeJaria Sneed now missing double-digit consecutive practices with the knee inflammation, Nick Jones' injury, the fractured fingers against uh, New Orleans – Nazi Johnson losing the season to an ACL in camp. What used to be of like, wow, we got a lot of dudes there. Now you're looking at, wow, this is kind of thin. And so who knows what the 53 is going to look like in the secondary. You also have to look is it a combination of corners, six corners, four safeties, five corners, five safeties. You get kind of look at the hybrid guy. Um, Shamari connor has been really, really impressive, kind of can do a lot of stuff for this team including special teams. But there's guys like Echo Boydow and Khalif Halassi that even have a shot of making the 53. They're thinking practice squad here, right? They both have shot up the charts. But Echo Boydow comes to mind, again, out of nowhere um, because he came on the tryout weekend. He wasn't even part of the phone call on the undrafted free agent frenzy of two hours after the draft. He was a good player at K-State. But now all of a
1: sudden... I mean, he's getting a lot of snaps and looks, and he's not disappointing. He recorded 49 defensive snaps against the Cardinals. He's the most of any defensive player for the Chiefs. They're taking a long look at him, and I think he's doing a lot of things to show that he deserves to be here. I'm not sure how it will all shake out on August 29th, but to go from a tryout player who made this team uh, when he was trying to stand out amongst 50 other rookies At rookie minicamp, he doesn't get signed right away, but then he joins his team ahead of OTAs to now be in a position where I think he has a legitimate shot. And maybe even if he doesn't make the team to go back to our earlier point, if he makes the practice squad, who knows what can happen in week nine or week 10? He could be called up and could make a play. So it says a lot about Echo that he is in the position that he's in now, both uh, as a player mentally and also just his natural ability. The draft process is so refined. It's so good. But, I mean, <laughs> still, guys can fall through the cracks, and you can find yourself uh, with an Echo Boydo uh, going into the third preseason game where you see him and you say, this guy should have been drafted. Uh, one guy who was drafted that you mentioned, Jamari Connor, I think is making a big impression right now. And he's someone who got better and better during training camp. And you can't look too much into first team, second team, third team during the preseason because they're trying to give guys different looks with different groups. But Jamari Connor was the third safety for much of the first quarter with the first team defense they're putting him out there because they believe in him. And he's such a versatile player who can do so many different things. Uh, He played 37 snaps against the Cardinals. Uh, He was lined up at free safety at times, kind of playing that center field, but also was playing the slot quite a bit, and he was blitzing out of the slot. And we know how much Steve Spagnuolo loves DBs who can blitz. Legerious Sneed had the most pressures of any DB in the NFL last year with 18. Chamari Connor, time and time again, was blitzing off the edge. And for him, if you're trying to show that – Because we feel good he'll make the team, but if you're trying to show that you belong in the defensive rotation, the more you can do is going to earn you those opportunities. And man, he showed us throughout camp and really, particularly in that Cardinals game, he can play a lot of different roles in this defense. I'm really excited about Chamari right now.
0: 41 inch vertical, so he's got the ability to play the deep third of the field or win throw it up jump ball plays. He's physical to play the run, he's quick to blitz. It's been fun to watch him grow, it's fun to see where he'll grow uh, even further in this system. Boido has been impressive. He's so good in press coverage, which is what Steve Spagnuolo likes to do a lot. The Chiefs corners play a lot of press. They're rarely an off. Sometimes they will be. But the fact that he's – and he's not a big dude. Like, he's not as big as uh, Joshua Williams or Jalen Watson, but he plays bigger than he is. He's very physical. The the one litmus test – Impressed coverage is, can you cover the slant? Like, we we want to follow, you know, hey, the deep ball. Yeah, that's true. I got it. But the slant is so hard to cover in the National Football League without getting a penalty. He's really good at it. I mean, there's some athletic ability to Boydell, plus some instinct with him that uh, takes
1: even a further look and, and uh, follow this cat along. I remember after the Saints game, you know, there's those three days that you go back to St. Joe. We did a whole podcast on it. They're some of the <laughs> toughest days of camp because the guys – have a whole game day experience and then it's like all right we're going back to Missouri Western for some more padded practices and I remember on the first practice back uh, in St. Joe it was on Tuesday he made two really nice plays to break up a pair of passes and I think it says a lot about him as a rookie just along for the ride on this roller coaster and trying to keep his head above water that he was making plays on one of the toughest practices of training camp where it was hot. And you're expected to go out there and maintain that momentum that you've been building Uh, says a lot about him. And I even remember earlier in camp, uh, for those of you that have been to training camp, there's the hill that the guys walk down to get down to the field and coaches walk it. Everyone walks it. And, uh, you know, the quarterbacks are together you know, players that are great friends with each other, walk down together, whatever. Uh, Echo was walking down with Steve Spagnolo, And Coach Spaggs had his arm around Echo, and they were just walking down the hill. And to me, that just said a lot. Like, Spaggs likes this guy. He believes in him. He wouldn't be talking to him if he didn't. And uh, he's backing up, backing up that confidence on the field.
0: Fun to watch it. It'll be something that we'll pay attention, both of us, to, to the game on Saturday against the Cleveland Browns. So we'll close this way. This is really one of my favorite games because there's so many kids that come to this game. I love the training camp we, we talked about. It. So many kids come to camp of the record number that came this year to St. Joseph. But this preseason game is about taking 9- and 10-year-olds and making them the, the, their favorite team the rest of their life, because they may not go to a regular season game, but they'll go to this game. And so I, I just love this final preseason home game, or, or uh, last year it was the, the Commanders game and the, and the Packers game, because it's kind of a
1: back-to-school game. But there will be kids all over the stadium on Saturday. And that's the best. And also, even though we've been talking about roster math and who's going to make the team, (laughs) this game is really important for a lot of these players who maybe aren't going to make the team. Maybe some of them don't have a future in the NFL. But forever, they're going to remember when they played a football game in the NFL for the Kansas City Chiefs, the reigning Super Bowl champion at home. They're going to have that experience forever. And I think it's so cool that uh, so many players are going to have an opportunity to play in this game. Uh, Hopefully they can make some plays and it's something that we can't forget. I mean, it's it's we understand it's a business, but at the end of the day, these are humans. Uh, These are people that have been chasing this dream their entire life. And even though it's just a preseason game for some of these guys, it'll be a dream realized. So pretty cool.
0: That's why Steve Sanders is so valuable. He's our team photographer. He's got a great staff. But a lot of those guys, if you and I are on the field this week, hey, Steve, make sure you get a photo of me in my Chiefs uniform trying to tackle a guy that's wearing a Cleveland uniform because it's going up in the man cave. Absolutely. He's Matt McMullen, senior team reporter. Camp, yep, tell by the garb, camp's still going on. But thanks to the folks at Ticketmaster for helping uh, sponsor this one. But uh, hopefully we'll see you at the game. Uh, Saturday at Arrowhead because it's getting closer, folks. That opening game against the Detroit Lions. Ten, five, touchdown! Lock it down, and the celebration begins at Arrowhead.